Thank you, ladies. Hope you have your Bibles with you or your devices. We're in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The text uh, today is, is uh, one verse again. Uh, it's verse 8, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, <clears throat> we're talking about purity today. Th- this verse, by the way, there's probably a year's worth of sermons that could come out of this one verse text. I'll only attempt to preach one to you today. Um, but when we talk about the topic of purity, a couple things happen. The first one is a lot of people tune out. They, they turn off their ears, if you will, and, and they do so because the thought crosses their mind, <clears throat> Well, he must be talking to somebody else today. I think I'm off the hook. Or you tune out because there, there's something that's going on in your life, in your soul, that you're wrestling with. It, it may be new. It may be a sin or, or something inside you that you've been dealing with for years, and you think, if we're talking about purity, I, I need to tune out because that's just going to strum that chord of guilt in my life. But, but I would ask today that you tune in, that you open yourself up to hearing from the Holy Spirit today. My, my goal isn't to make you feel guilty. My, my, my goal isn't to... Um, list a whole bunch of things and have you rate yourself personally on a scale of 1 to 10. Oh, I think I'm doing oh, maybe a 5 here or a 10 here. The purpose isn't to make you feel guilty. The, the purpose of what we're doing today is to, to get inside Scripture, one. Two is to get the Scripture inside us. Because there's a psalmist that says... Um, we hide the word of God in our heart. Why? As a guard to sinning against him. So as we get scripture inside our lives, it helps us resist temptation. It helps us get by things. It, it gets deep within us so that we might not sin against God. And there's a place in the scripture that says that, that these words are sharper than any two-edged sword will pierce to the very inward parts of our being. And so I trust that, that God will speak. I trust that the Holy Spirit will talk. And I trust that you will tune in and listen. If the Holy Spirit is talking to you or nudging you forward through the Scriptures today, in the spoken word, then I trust that, you, that you'll respond accordingly. Is that okay? All right, so everybody's listening. That's good. Pastor always likes to have people listening. <laughs> um, purity of heart is what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, it's more powerful 
it's more all-encompassing when it becomes who we are and, and not some list of rules or regulations that we try and check off on a daily basis and follow. If it's inside us, then, and it becomes who we are, the very fabric of, of who we are and what we do, that's a whole lot more powerful than if you get out a list every morning and, and, have a, and feel like your faith is just simply a, a checklist, that you have to check off everything going through life. And if you miss a box, then somehow, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, but we live in a society that pulls us away from the purity of God. Um, we become so influenced by the culture around us uh, and the marketing machinery that we face on a daily basis that sometimes I think we lose our understanding of what the Bible actually says about purity. Uh, I was thinking this week about um, a bag of grass seed that I bought from Lowe's or a Home Depot years ago. We had our, the first home that we owned, we, we built, and, and so it didn't come with a yard. It had the house but no yard. So the front, we, had, we were required, uh, by the covenant of the community, we had to put sod in the front yard. Well, the backyard, we left dirt, and we thought, well, we'll go a more natural route, save a little money, and we will we will seed the backyard and grow the grass on our own. We went down to the hardware store and we're looking at bags of grass. And the particular bag that I picked up, it had a purity rating on it. The purity rating for the bag of grass was 90%. So what the manufacturer was telling me was that even though it says in this bag is Kentucky bluegrass, it's only 90% Kentucky bluegrass. That means that there were 10% um, other clover, crabgrass, dandelion. I don't want those things in my yard. I want Kentucky bluegrass. But the manufacturer was telling me that I had to lower my standards. I had to lower my expectation of what was in that bag from 100% purity to 90%. Well, we're going to come close. It's still 90%, but you just need to change your expectations, Mr. Bach, because you're only going to get 90% Kentucky bluegrass. And I suppose that this is what happens in our culture, too. Little by little, we begin to lower our standards uh, we begin to lower our expectation of what purity actually means. Um, it creeps in. It's very subtle. It takes a long time to lower our standards, but it starts creeping in when we say things like, well, nobody's perfect. Well, kids will be kids. Well, it's only a little white lie. Everyone bends the truth a bit. Well, I was only going five miles an hour over the speed limit. Well, there were a thousand pens in the cabinet at work. One of them, they're not going to miss one. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's no big deal. Have you stopped me when, you've, when I've gone too far? But you see the creep. Most of those things we may have even said ourselves at one point in time. And what's happening is, over time, our purity, expectations, and standards have gone from 
And little by little, we start chipping them away, and pretty soon we're down to 90%. You know, swearing slips into our vocabulary. Uh, If you just compare what's on TV now to what it was a decade ago or 20 years ago, they say things and do things in primetime television that once were taboo. You look at advertisements. Well, we could just go through a laundry list of how things have changed, even over the last five years, the last 10 years. And what's happening is, little by little, we're chipping away at the purity expectation. And so our standards have changed. So then when we are exposed to that, we, you know, we're, we're now somewhat immune to it, and, and we don't think anything of it. If you If you press on a boundary long enough, it's bound to change a little bit. If you press, and and because we have that understanding and expectation in our lives and and in our culture, then that causes some of us, some people, to press on the boundaries that are drawn in Scripture. So we think if it's successful out in the world— that if we press on the boundary lines that God has set forth in Scripture, that maybe Scripture's going to change. Well, I have news for you. It doesn't. The boundaries that God have set aside, has set for us in Scripture do not change. We, we are the ones that fluctuate up or down. And so what is set forth in Scripture outlines what it means to be pure, to be pure in heart. Sometimes we want to just chip out a little bit. You know what? God really didn't mean it that way. I, I really don't have to love my neighbor all the time. It's okay if I get a little bit angry. We can just keep going through what God has defined as pure and right and holy, and then we could compare it to our own experience and, and action in this world. And we find quickly that it's us are the ones who fluctuate. It's not, pressing on the boundary of Scripture is not going to change the Word of God. Over time, and unconsciously, we lower our expectations until we lose sight of God's intention for us. All of our excuses, all of our reasons that we come up with uh, for for behaving less than God would have us behave, what, what happens is those things start to cloud our vision. Our vision gets a little bit blurry and we can't see straight anymore. But, but God, God put in our hearts a desire for purity. Deep down inside of us, there is a longing. There, there's this uh, built-in uh, expectation and um, there's some gravitational pull inside us towards God, towards purity, towards His perfect love. We're made in God's image. He created each and every one of us in His image. And His image is holy and loving and pure and righteous So there's something, there's at least a kernel of that in every single human being. 
that calls out for God, that, that longs for that. But the more we let the world chip away at our purity expectations, the more, uh, the more our vision is blurred, the more we may suppress that and, and, and move away from it and sometimes not even acknowledge that it is there. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You know, it might seem at the outset that this beatitude is it's at some distance from us. It's just out of reach. It's just out of our grasp to, to, to reach this blessing because we know ourselves. We know how we think. We know how we act. And we know that sometimes it's less than perfect. And our thoughts and, and our intentions aren't always what you would call pure. But for those who live the standard, blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says the blessing is to see God, to have a vision of God. And this, that's quite an incredible statement when you think about it. That's a huge blessing for us, for to see God, to have a vision of God, is to have an experience of God. The, the spiritual vision that Jesus talks about here, it, it hinges on our character, pure in heart, see God. Well, what does it mean to be pure? What does that actually mean? And for a, a first century Jewish listener, the word pure, well, that would conjure up some very specific images uh, for them. Images of uh, ceremonial cleanliness, uh, proper ritual observance. Um, they had a purity that was in place, and that was a a way of, of preserving their national and religious identity. Israel was to be set apart uh, from other nations in order to bring the light of, of God to the surrounding nations. The first books in our Bible, the ones that are attributed to uh, Moses, well, they're full of detailed instructions on how to remain pure. Uh, there's lots of dietary laws, there are laws about what you can wear and how your clothing should be made. Um, there's instructions and information in there about uh, what utensils that you should use uh, in sacrifice and what should be sacrificed and when and for what purpose. There's all sorts of rules and, and um, purity regulations that are in the Old Testament so that people knew exactly how to maintain a standard of purity in their life. And by the time we get to Jesus, uh, the Pharisees had devised another set of rules, kind of an overlay for all the rules that were in the Old Testament in their scriptures. The Pharisees had figured out, well, we need rules to tell us how we should follow the rules. And so there were actually more rules that the Pharisees put in place on how to follow the original law that it, people were getting confused. And, and the Pharisees were, were using this uh, devised law to figure out who was pure and who wasn't. Are you doing it the right way or are you not? The, the word for pure that we see in, a, in our text this morning is the Greek word katharos. Uh, it, it implies uh, being clean, as in, like, unpolluted or free from dirt. 
it suggests that what is now clean once wasn't. So you have a dirty object and you wash it off, that would be katharos. It has been purified, cleansed, washed out. Spiritually speaking, it means cleansed of sin, freed from guilt. Uh, the pure in heart is a heart that has been scrubbed clean and sin has been removed, sin forgiven, gone. See, our, our spiritual vision becomes impaired when our life is tainted with impurity. Now, it's not hard to conjure up an image of impurity. You know, for me, red sauce on a white shirt, impure. If I go to an Italian place and I'm wearing a white shirt, it's almost guaranteed there's going to be at least a spot of red sauce on my shirt before it's all over. That's impure. Uh, pine needles, this time of year, on your kitchen floor. Impure, right? They belong outside, but when they're on the kitchen floor, that's impure. They're in the wrong place. Um, writing on bathroom walls may conjure up an image of impurity. You know, dirt just creeps in somehow and taints our spiritual vision. Jesus says the pure in heart are the ones who see God. And when, the, when this dirt and filth and evil and vile creeps into our life, well, that starts getting something in, in our eyes, if you will, and we do not have the proper vision of God. Uh, in the case that we're talking about here, instead of our physical eyes, it's our hearts that he's talking about. And if you, if you imagine for a moment, if you get a piece of dirt in your eye, it's painful, right? Your eye starts to water. You can't focus on anything. Your other eye starts to water, and, and pretty soon you are completely consumed and preoccupied with getting the one little speck of dirt out of your eye. And, and I want to tell you that when you have specks of dirt in your heart, it does the same thing in our relationship with God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And this is a biblical expression from the psalm that we read earlier, from Psalm 24.4. Those who have clean hands and pure hearts ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place. Jesus is just taking the psalm and restating it in the form of a beatitude here. Now, when the Jews spoke of, uh, of a heart... They weren't talking about the organ that's in your chest that pumps blood to the, the, all throughout your body. What they're talking about, the heart was viewed as, as the real or true self. It's the, it's the center of belief. It's the center of understanding. It's the center of our will. It's the center of, of our desires. Uh, and it's not a foreign concept to us to use heart in a metaphorical kind of sense. I mean, we have you know sayings kind of like... Um, put your heart into it, or he didn't have a lot of heart, or uh, I am suffering from a broken heart, or I'm telling you that I love you from the bottom of my heart. 
We use heart in a metaphorical sense to refer to a whole range of meanings, and it's our will, it's our desire, it's, it's who we are. The heart is where you exercise your freedom. It's, it's where you make your decisions. Will you lie or will you tell the truth? Will you stand up for somebody who needs somebody to stand up for him, or will you take a step back and remain silent and let them fend for themselves? Will you respond in anger, or will you respond with love and with mercy? The heart. The heart is what you are in your secret place where only you and God know. The heart is the place where you will meet God or it's the place where you will avoid Him, push Him away, and reject Him. That's the meaning of heart that we're getting at here. Everything that comes out of us proceeds from the heart. Our hearts matter to God greatly. He cares about our motivations. Uh, Jesus did not simply come into this world um, to help us get rid of some bad habits. Uh, he, came, he came into the world, are you listening? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus didn't come to just help us get a few things in order and live a better life. Jesus came into the world and died on that cross so that we could take that and just remove it. Cleanse us. Heart purification. Get rid of all of the filth that's in there. Marianne Williamson, she says, once you ask God into your life, you think he's going to come in, look around, and see that you just need a new floor or better furniture and that everything just needs a little bit of cleaning. And so you go on for the first six months, thinking how nice life is now that God is there. Then one day, you look out the window, and you see a big wrecking ball outside. It turns out that God actually thinks your whole foundation is shot, and you're going to have to start over from scratch. That's why Jesus came into this world, to help us with that, to help us with a new beginning experience, new birth in him through the power of his Holy Spirit so that we can have our hearts purified and cleansed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When you take the idea of purity and you take this notion of heart and what it means, and, and you put them together, to be pure in heart is to be aligned and in complete agreement with the law of God. It means to be a person whose affections, whose thoughts, whose wishes, whose conducts are clean. Oswald Chambers, he says that pure, to be pure in heart is to be in continued spiritual harmony with God. See, the pure in heart are ones who would, uh, like a magnet, you know, if you the reverse polarities with them with or the same polarities together with a magnet it, it shoves it away those who are pure in heart are kind of act like the magnets like that and and push away anything that is that is evil any of that vile 
that is out in the world, you know, sin that is confronted, those who are pure in heart uh, repel that like a magnet. Now, don't get me wrong, those who are pure in heart are not sinless people, but they sincerely desire to do good. They, they hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. The, their overarching desire, the desire that, that permeates their being, their living, their thinking, their acting, all of that is, is to please God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. So they obey, and they live clean lives, and they think clean thoughts. There's two kinds of purity that we're, that we're touching on here, and they're, they're both kind of interlocked and, and related to one another. The first one is a, a purity of, a, of a washing of sorts, a, a cleaning, a cleansing, a living a life that is uh, unstained, having a heart that is unstained. And the second, uh, it comes up over and over in the New Testament. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus touches on it. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 21 of Matthew, uh, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, in, in Matthew uh, 23, if you flip over there in uh, verse 23, 23, Jesus starts talking to the Pharisees and, and he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. See, some of the Pharisees were, were masters at making sure that their outward, exterior appearances looked very clean and godly. But, but Jesus sees right through that in these verses. Je Jesus noticed that in many of the religious circles, uh, there was this practicing of, of outward piety and purity, and so there were these this public persona of, wow, we are holy and righteous people, but inside was a different story. They hadn't addressed the inner motivations that came up and out of their heart. It's kind of like having dry rot inside and being nice and shiny clean on the exterior. It shows up in us. We might say uh, there's a gap between how we think and act, present ourselves on Sunday as, a pair, as, as opposed to how we would live our life on Monday. I think there's a book that's out there, The Sunday to Monday Gap. It talks about these very things. We know uh, how to behave when we're in church. We know the right things to say. We know how we're supposed to think. And so we go through with that. And so between, some people have even narrowed it down to between the hours of 9 a.m. on Sunday morning and when the game starts, this is my holy time. This is my time to be perfectly in line with Jesus and I'm going to be really spiritual. But after that, you know, all bets are off because it really isn't practical to the rest of, of uh, what I do. 
That's the Pharisee that Jesus is talking about, is one who knew the right things to say. They knew that when they were with with a certain audience, they had to behave in a certain way, but then you know, the inside is what is corrupt, and so in their other circles, they're holding expectations over people and, and behaving in a different fashion. And we do the same thing. We know the right spiritual way to talk to people. We know we should clean up our vocabulary a little bit when we're in church or when we're talking to somebody who we associate with church. But then when we're out in the office or something, well, you know, we can just, you know, talk with the boys or gossip with the girls or whatever it is. There's a gap sometimes between how we live and think on Sunday and how we have it play out into our lives on Monday. Then there's over in Luke uh, chapter 10, if you flip over there for a little bit, Jesus is uh, ministering in a house and uh, he's at the home of Mary and Martha and Jesus and his disciples were there on the way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. There's lots of stuff going around, going on in the household, and Martha was paying attention to all of the details that needed to be attended to to have guests in the home. She came and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, lots of details. Notice Jesus didn't say that those were bad things, right? All things that needed attending to. He didn't dismiss her work but few things are needed. Or, or, indeed, only one. Only one thing is actually needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Brother James, brother of Jesus, he wrote a book in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, the, the opposite of pure, the opposite of pure is a divided heart. Having two thoughts, two roads that you can go is the opposite of one of the kinds of purity that we're talking about here. Purity of heart is a singleness of purpose for God's will and His way. The person who possesses this singleness of purpose is the opposite of the double-minded. See, the double-minded describes a person who, who they kind of waffle back and forth and back and forth between uh, making choices and acting out of, out of their flesh or acting and making choices on, on how they're going to live and think that is guided and directed by the Spirit of God. The double-minded is the kind of person who really, they want to go God's way, but only so far. Because they also want to go their own direction. They want to pursue their own uh, agendas. 
Do you want, let me ask you a question, do you want as much of God as you can hold in one hand while with the other one holding on to as much of you as you can grasp in your desire and your ambition over here? Are, are, you trying, are you trying to grab on to two things? That's a double-minded person. That is one who is divided in heart. That's the opposite of having a pure heart in our text here. That one hurts a bit. It's a divided loyalty. See, when we have, when we have cluttered hearts and divided loyalties, we're pulled in so many different directions. We're watered down. I remember uh, I worked at a place and there were two managers that were on duty quite often. And the two managers did things completely differently. They had different expectations. It was so confusing to all of us employees who were trying to follow directions. Because if you followed the directions of manager A and manager B walked around the corner, you got a tongue lashing because you weren't doing it the right way. So then you start going over here to manage, okay, well, let's do this. And then manager A comes around the corner. Now, why are you doing that? I told you to do it differently. It's, it's confusing. When you have so many things going on in your life and, and in your heart, it's, it's like having manager an A and B that are they're telling you to do two different things, and you're just so confused. You don't know how to act and behave. See, the second kind of purity that we see in Scripture, the ones that we've been referring to here, is, is an uncluttered or an undivided heart. Purity equals an uncluttered heart. Purity of heart has to do with a simple heart, one that is undivided in its allegiances. The pure in heart have hearts and minds that are given over wholly to the will of God. They're people of integrity, whose faith is genuine and, and whose outward actions are love and mercy and righteousness and justice. Their outward actions match their inner commitments. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, he, he says purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will just one thing, and that's the essence of holiness for our will to be bent towards and in line with God's. Having an undivided heart goes all the way back to one of the first creedal statements that we find in scriptures. We call it the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That is a picture of an undivided and uncluttered heart. Matthew 19, if you're still there, flip over there. Man comes to Jesus, rich guy. He says to Jesus, um, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And they go through, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus said, there's one more thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Jesus' call there to come follow me, it's a call to a reckless abandon 
of any personal ambition. It's a call that Jesus gives to all of those who are his followers. Cast everything aside. You need to come to me with an undivided and uncluttered heart. I want your undivided attention. Come, follow me. So in order to be pure in heart, we need to start removing things. It's not that we get rid of everything. Because certainly God wants us to work. He, he wants us to be in relationship with people. He, he wants us to do things. But when we, when we come to him with an undivided, undivided heart and we come to him with purity of intention and desire, what happens is that becomes the filter by which we make our decisions. So when something new is presented to us, we have something in place that can help us decide, is this the right thing for me to pursue or is it not? Does it, some people talk about it in, in the context of a mission statement or a personal mission statement. Well, I want, I want everything that I do to be in line with my personal mission statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's a good place to start. And so things that come to you and present themselves to you, you can put it through that filter, and if it comes out the other end, you know what? That's what you're about, then maybe you should consider it. If it comes out the other side and said, you know what? That's probably, that probably just causes confusion in your life. It's one too many things. That's a great thing to volunteer for, but right now the timing isn't right, and it doesn't line up with your mission, and it doesn't line up with being pure in heart. And so that is an easy way to decide and say, you know what? I'm going to have to say no. There's so many choices that we have to make. We need to look at our lives and we need to come to him with a blank check. The guy in the story right here came to Jesus and Jesus asked him to do something. He, he, he was not prepared to go there. And he walked away. He didn't want to sign over his life on a blank check for God to fill out whenever and wherever he pleases. But that's the call of a Christ follower. To be pure in heart is to live your life before God totally open, allowing him to guide, allowing him to direct, trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead you, trusting that the Holy Spirit will prompt you for the places you are supposed to go, the things you are supposed to say, the way that you are supposed to respond. I know that, that Jesus will help you with that. And it, it takes listening. And it takes being willing to put it all before Jesus. And this gentleman here, he wasn't, he wasn't prepared to go there. So the big question, how do I become pure in heart? You ask God to do it for you. He promises to purify us. If we go back to that first kind of purity that we talked about, the unstained, the cleansing, well, God will clean you. God will remove that dirt from you. All you got to do is ask Him. He will forgive you. God is able to 
to purge the corruption of our hearts and make them pure again. Offer yourself completely to him. Let, let him be the one that purifies you as an act of grace in response to your faith. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There is power that is given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to sanctify us deep within. We can't sanctify ourselves. We can't set ourselves apart. It is a work of God. First Thessalonians, you want to jot it down, look it up. First uh, Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. It means make you clean, make you pure through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless, pure, at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful. That's God. He calls you. He will do it. It's a promise. But what if I mess up? I know who I am. And I know I'm going to stumble on occasion. First thing I would say is don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Keep turning your focus to God. Purity isn't as much about perfect performance as it is about having perfect intention. Frank Moore, he's the general editor of the Church of the Nazarene now. He, he writes a story. He remembers a time they had, they had moved to Kansas and it was a brutally hot summer the house that they moved into, uh, it had an old porch and old, an old deck on the back, and they needed to take that off and put a new one up. And so he was working on that. And his son, little guy at the time, was playing in a dirt pile that was nearby with his little cars and trucks and making roads. And he said he was just filthy, playing in this dirt pile, having a grand old time. He said he looked over at one point and, and his son had disappeared and he had, he had gone inside the house. He was there for a few minutes and he didn't know what he was up to. And a couple minutes went by, the, his son reemerged with a tall, ice-cold glass of water. He brought it out to his dad and he said, Here, Dad, I, I thought you could use this. And, and Frank says, Uh... I looked in his eyes and he was so proud of himself for thinking about me and, and what I might need at the time. He, he said, his smile warmed my heart in places that that, hon, that hot sun could never, ever reach. He said, I drank that glass of water down and I handed it back to him. He said, I love you, son. Thank you so much. His son, you know, went off of smile on his face, a little bounce in his step, and he went back to playing. He was perfectly content knowing that he had demonstrated love to his dad. Frank says he learned, a he learned an important lesson that day about the difference between intention and performance. See, his son had failed to wash the dirt 
from his hands before he grabbed a handful of ice cubes. He got about as much dirt in his glass as he had on his hands. But as his dad, I saw right past the imperfect performance to his pure act of love. Uh, I suppose that's how God looks upon us, don't you think? As we seek to have pure hearts and live Christ-like lives, a heart that above all else desires to please God does, in fact, please God. Your, your actions might, always, might not always be flawless, but the true desire of your heart can be made pure, it can be made clean, it can be uncluttered and free from divided loyalties. People of God said, Amen.